And I think a lot of times we're afraid if we engage a non-believer with the gospel, that they'll ask us a hard question we don't have the answer to. Well, I don't have all the answers, so what? Just get out there and share your faith. If you don't have an answer, go back and study more and you'll have more answers next time for sure. Temptation. Here's the problem with temptation. It's so doggone tempting. You know, the devil is really good at what he does. He knows how to package his wares. He knows how to make bad things look good and actually how to make good things look bad. And when temptation comes, man, you know it. And it's strong. And you feel the pressure. Maybe that's why writer Oscar Wilde once said, I can resist anything but temptation. But here's the good news. God, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, will never let us be tempted above our capacity to resist, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now look, I don't know about you, but I know for me, if I even take a little taste, that's where the problem begins. And by that I mean, let's use dessert as an example of temptation. And they even will say, can I tempt you with a dessert? It's funny they'll use the word tempt. And, and I always say, no, no dessert. My wife will say, well, what do you have? I say, no, don't do it. <laughs> she did this the other night. What do you have? Don't ask what they have. And, and then she said, we'll just have one bite. And then I said, that's what Eve said to Adam, okay? <laughs> so they bring the dessert with the five forks and all that. If I don't have a taste of it, it's a non-issue. But the moment I taste it, Party over, I'm engaged, you know how that goes. So we've all been tempted, not just by dessert, but by serious things, by sinful things. It might be a temptation to be lustful, a temptation to be prideful, a temptation to be hateful, but whatever it is, what a great thing it is when we pass the test. And by that I mean we say no to it. And honestly, when you're saying no, it's not easy, is it? Oh, I really want to, no, I'm not gonna do it but then the blessing comes. Because James tells us, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has tried, he'll receive the crown of life. And that word blessed could be interchanged with the word happy. Happy is the man or the woman that says no to temptation. If you wanna be a world changer, you need to learn how to say yes to God and how to say no to the devil. And how to refuse certain things. And that's what we're gonna look at now, the life of Moses, Hebrews chapter 11. It was by faith, verse 24, that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be treated as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to suffer the oppression of God's people instead of the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of the Messiah than own the treasures of Egypt. And he was looking ahead to the great reward that God would give him. Interesting phrase, Better to suffer for the sake of the Messiah, who had not yet come yet, than to own the treasures of Egypt. And that is such an accurate description of what was going on. <clears throat> for Moses, the world was his oyster. He could have anything he wanted. He had affluence and influence, the most beautiful clothing, the best meals, the 
finest education, and if he had played his cards right, he might have been the most important man on the face of the earth. But underneath that beautiful uh, apparel beat the heart of a Jew. And his fellow Hebrews were suffering under the cruel taskmasters of Egypt, and, and he cared for his fellow Jews, and for him, he could not stay in this place that he was. He had to leave the palace. And verse 24, by faith when he grew up, he refused to be treated as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He grew up. <laughs> I heard that expression a lot when I was growing up. Uh, teachers would say it to me. Other people would say, Greg Laurie, will you just grow up? Because I was always a prankster. I was always getting into trouble. I wore diapers until I was 30. Never shared that before. That was a joke, by the way. Um, just wanted to see if you're listening. But the idea is, you know, I wasn't growing up as quickly as people wanted me to. And some people need to grow up. Now, this, of course, is talking about Moses just getting older, but it's also about maturing. We need to grow up spiritually. And one of the indications of spiritual growth is when we start thinking about others more than ourselves. If Moses just thought of himself, he'd say, hey, man, I'm living the life of a king. I'm gonna just stay right here. But no, others were suffering and he thought, I've gotta do something to alleviate their suffering. So that brings us to point number one. He refused a lot of things. What did he refuse? Number one, he refused a position of power in Egypt. He refused a position of power in Egypt. Offering commentary in the life of Moses, young Stephen said, in Acts 7.22, Moses was educated in the learning of the Egyptians. But see, God did not want him to be Moses the Egyptian scholar, or Moses the Egyptian statement, statesman. rather. God wanted him to be Moses the man of God. And by the way, that's what the Lord wants from each of us as well. Number two, Moses refused the pleasures of Egypt. The pleasures of of Egypt, uh, for him to stay in this place of power would have been sinful. Now, God has used other men and women in the corridors of power to influence leaders. Of course, we know Daniel was taken along with the other Israelites uh, into captivity of Babylon, but he had great influence on King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, Babylon played a role in the conversion of King Nebuchadnezzar. Some people don't know that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, became a believer. Daniel also influenced Darius, Belshazzar too, but Belshazzar did not listen. Then we know Joseph had great influence on the Pharaoh and Esther because of her influence with the king <coughs> excuse me, in the palace was able to save her entire nation. So the point of this is, is that we have to ask ourselves, Lord, where do you want me to be? He might put you in a corridor of power. He might have you laboring in relative obscurity, but wherever you are, you need to use your influence for his glory and ask yourself the question, am I going to enjoy life in my own way or am I going to employ my life serving God and others? What motivated Moses? Answer, he had a heavenly perspective. He had a heavenly perspective. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 26. He was looking ahead to the great reward that God would give him. He wasn't even sure what it was, but he knew better things were to come. He kept looking ahead, but then he went and made a big mess of things. <laughs> he had the right idea, but he certainly went about it in the wrong way. You know the story. He saw 
an Egyptian slave driver mistreating a Jew. So Moses looked to the right, he looked to the left, and he killed the Egyptian. Then he hit him in the sand, which is never a good place to hide a body because the wind blows and soon everyone knows what happened and Pharaoh found out and said, I'm gonna have Moses executed. So Moses headed for the hills and he decided, well, that's it. <laughs> I've blown my chances. I'll just live a life in obscurity now. And he found a family that took him in. He married one of the daughters and he became a shepherd. And by the way, back in those days in the estimation of the Egyptians, to be a shepherd was the lowliest job you could have. So he went from the prince in the palace to a common laboring shepherd. Probably had an early retirement. Thought, well, that's it for me. Uh, but he wasn't quite prepared for what was about to ha happen because he was gonna encounter a bush that did not stop burning. And he was gonna come face to face with the God of second chances. Look at Exodus chapter three, starting in verse one. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He went deep into the wilderness near Sinai, the mountain of God. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a blazing fire in a bush. Moses was amazed because the bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. Moses said to himself, amazing. Why isn't this bush burning up? I need to go over and see this. And then the Lord, when he saw he had caught the attention of Moses, called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Here am I, Moses replied. God said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. We'll stop there. So God proceeds to tell Moses that he is aware of the suffering of the Jewish people. And that God is going to now call Moses to lead those people out of their bondage. Understand, Moses well, he's an old dude now. He's 80 years old. He spent 40 years in the court of Pharaoh. Now 40 years in the wilderness. He, he is well into retirement. You know, he says, hey man, I worked hard and I'm gonna kick back. I meet people that retired. Yeah, I'm retired. Yeah, just work to take the old pension. What are you gonna do? Golf. What else? Fish. What else? Sleep. What else? Fish. What else? Try to golf and fish simultaneously, maybe? <laughs> get out of your lazy boy and get busy for the kingdom of God. God still has a plan for your life. <laughs> Don't tell me you're too old to serve the Lord. Moses was 80. Don't tell me you're too young to serve the Lord. Jeremiah was but a teenager. My point to you is God wants to use all of us at every stage of our life. Listen to what God says to Moses, Exodus 3. I am the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now we hear that. It sounds very impressive. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? But wait, let's think about it for a moment. Because in the World Changer series, we've seen the flaws of everyone that God used. These people are not in the Heroes Hall of Faith because they were great people. They're in the Heroes Hall of Faith because they had faith in a great God. This Hall of Faith of Hebrews 11 is filled with a lot of interesting characters, all with serious problems. Abraham, the father of faith, had flaws and lapses of faith and lied on multiple occasions. Jacob, oh, he was legendary for his deception and manipulation. 
Isaac favored one son over another and didn't really listen to the Lord. So really when God says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what he is saying is, I am the God of flawed people. I am the God of people that make mistakes. Really what the Lord is saying is, I am the God of second chances. And why would he say that to Moses? Because Moses needed a second chance. Because he killed a man. And he had spent 40 years thinking he'd probably never do anything for the Lord. But the Lord saying, buddy, I'm recommissioning you. So park the Winnebago and let's get busy. We've got work to do. And we're gonna go and deliver a nation from the power of Egypt. Because I'm aware of all that my people are going through. The Lord says that he has heard and he has seen the affliction that the people are facing. And Moses, I'm calling you to lead them out. Now, what Moses should have done was fall on his face and say, thank you, Lord, for a second chance. I'm ready to go. But what Moses does instead is offer up a bunch of excuses as to why he can't serve the Lord. I bring this up because we all know we're supposed to serve the Lord. We all know that God has a plan for each of us. We all know that God has given us gifts and talents and abilities and resources to use for his glory. But so often, many of us are not doing it. And why are we not doing it? We offer up excuses, never reasons. There's no good reason to not serve the Lord, but excuses. As we look at the excuses of Moses, you might find yourself in one of them. This is why I called the message the excuses of a world changer. Excuse number one, Exodus 3.11. I don't deserve to be used by God. He says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Moses asked God, how can you expect me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Now you know in a way Moses had a point. I mean, <laughs> would you have picked Moses if you were God? Why not pick some young guy? Moses had a lot of baggage. You know, he had made a lot of mistakes and in a way he was sort of a has-been, a failure, even an embarrassment. Why use him? Use somebody you never know. God says, oh, I, I want Moses. Because I've been whipping this boy into shape for a long time and he is ready to rumble. This is my man. You know, it seems as though God goes out of his way to pick the most expect, unexpected people. God wants to reach the nation of Nineveh. So the Lord calls Jonah. Listen, Jonah was a racist. You say, what do you mean? He hated the Ninevites. He wanted God to kill the Ninevites. God said, you're the perfect guy to go preach to the Ninevites. I don't want to go. Yeah, whatever, let's go. And a great revival broke out. And then God wanted a courageous man to lead Israel out of the bondage of the Midianites, their enemies. So he chooses Gideon who happens to be hiding from his enemy when the angel appears to him, hiding behind a wall, sort of threshing the wheat. And an angel appears and says, hey Gideon, you mighty man of courage, the Lord is with you. Gideon's like, is there another Gideon here? What, you mean moi? Me? Yeah, you. Well, that doesn't make any sense. If there's anything Gideon was not at that moment, it was a mighty man of courage. But listen to this, God doesn't see you for what you are, he sees you for what you can become. He sees potential. It is said that the great master artist Michelangelo was looking at a big slab of uh, marble and he said, I wanna liberate an angel from that marble. See, the great artist Michelangelo could just look at a slate of stone and see what would come from it. And God looks at you and says, I know what you can be. You don't know it yet, but I know. 
I know what I can make you into. You'll be a mighty man of God. You'll be a mighty woman of God. Don't care if you're young or you're old or you think you're qualified. I will make you into that. So God is saying, Moses, I've called you to be this man. Number two, Moses says, well, I don't have all the answers. Exodus 3. Uh, so you have to look at that. Verse 23, or 13, excuse me. Moses protested, if I go to the people and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they won't believe me. They'll ask, which God are you talking about and what is his name? Then what would I tell them? God says, will you just tell them I am who I am. Just say the I am has sent me to you. Funny thing. Moses says, who am I? God says, I am that I am. Stop talking about yourself. Stop thinking about yourself. You just tell them I am has sent you. Moses, it's not about you, it's about me. You know, I think a lot of times we're afraid if we engage a non-believer with the gospel that they'll ask us a hard question we don't have the answer to. Well, I don't have all the answers, so what? Just get out there and share your faith. If you don't have an answer, go back and study more and you'll have more answers next time for sure. But don't let that stop you from telling others about Jesus. Well, I, I don't know if I can prove the existence of God. My job is not to prove the existence of God. My job is to proclaim the good news of the gospel. You say, well, what if they don't believe in the Bible? Can I still quote it? Are you kidding? God says of his word that it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. If they believe it or not, it is what it is. And so that would be like, you know, talking to someone, you have a sword, and they say, well, like, I don't believe your sword's real, okay, man? Like, I think your sword is like just uh, an imagination. I, oh, here, let me use my sword on you for a moment. <laughs> now, they're gonna believe the sword's real when I give them a good poke with it. Well, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't think it's inspired by God. Yeah, really interesting. Here's what the Bible says. And you just share it with them. And the power of God's word will penetrate their heart. God says, my word will not return to me void. It will prosper in the place where I send it. Years ago, when I was starting crusade evangelism, it was the mid-30s. Excuse me, I was, this, I totally said that wrong. I was in my mid-30s. I haven't been doing it that long. <laughs> Funny. It was actually mid-90s. But uh, I was in my mid-30s. And you know a funny thing? When I was in my 30s, I thought I was really old. I thought, wow, I'm really old now. I'm in my 30s. When I talk to young people, they say, oh, I'm so old. I'm in my 30s. They say, please stop. You're not old yet, okay? Trust me, you'll know what I'm talking about later, right? Well, anyway, I'm getting so old. And, but, you know, this opportunity opened up to preach the gospel in arenas and stadiums and such. And, and I was a little overwhelmed by it. And we were visiting with Ruth Graham, who we got to know very well. She was Billy's wife. She's in heaven now. And uh, we were often asked to speak at the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove, which is very close to the home of the Grahams. And Billy was usually not there because he was somewhere in the world doing a crusade, but Ruth was always home. And she would always come out to the Bible studies and take notes. It's amazing. Like, why would you take notes when I'm speaking? I mean, she was such a wonderful lady, and we'd spend a lot of time hanging out with her. She was fun-loving, quick to laugh, very knowledgeable of scripture, full of wisdom. 
And one day I said, oh, Ruth, I'm so intimidated, I, you know, doing these crusades and all this stuff. I, I don't feel like I'm really ready for it. I, I need to really brush up on my apologetics. She said, Greg, don't worry about that. You just proclaim the gospel. That's what Billy always did, and that's what you need to do. And I said, yes, ma'am. And uh, she was right. And you know, as the years have passed in my evangelistic preaching, I've actually gotten simpler by intention. And why that I mean is that I've tried to make the message so understandable, not assuming that my listener has a clue as to what I'm actually talking about. Not assuming people know biblical terminology because nowadays most don't. And so you have to make it very understandable. So if they reject it, let it be because they don't like the message or want to believe it as opposed to because they don't understand it. So Moses continues on with this plethora of excuses. I just wanted to use the word plethora in a sentence. <laughs> Excuse number three, the people won't believe me. That's in Exodus four. The people won't believe me, Exodus four verse one. Moses protested again. Look, they won't believe me. Uh, they won't do what I tell them. They'll just say, the Lord never appeared to you. The Lord says, what do you have there in your hand? Moses said, well, a shepherd's staff. Throw it to the ground, the Lord said. So Moses threw it to the ground, and it became a snake. Moses was terrified, and he turned and ran away. This is funny to me. I just, he throws it, ah, it runs, it's a snake, probably a cobra. The Lord said, take hold of this snake. And he reached down and grabbed it, and it became a shepherd's staff again. Exodus 4, 5, perform this sign and they'll believe you, the Lord told them. And they'll realize that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. Now, this is crazy because first of all, you never grab a snake by the tail because they'll turn around and bite you. I've told you that before. God says, grab the snake. Why? The snake was a symbol of Egypt, in particular the cobra. You can look at the, not the car, the snake, you can look at the antiquities of Egypt today and see that cobra there symbolizing the Pharaoh in particular and the nation of Egypt. So here's what God is saying. I'm more powerful than the snake. I'm more powerful than Egypt. I'm more powerful than Pharaoh. So pick it up. A modern vernacular might be take the tiger by the tail. Don't be intimidated. Face your fears and say, the Lord is greater than all of my fears. And that's what Moses did. He picked it up because he was being commissioned by God. And we have been commissioned as well by the Lord to represent Christ to a pagan culture. Moses was called to the pagan culture of Egypt. We're called to the pagan culture of the United States of America and to the world. And when I say pagan, I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean it in a descriptive way. When I use the word pagan, I'm talking about people that believe in anything and everything but the right thing. Look at excuse number four. Moses says, I'm not a good speaker. Verse 10, oh Lord, I, I'm clumsy with words. I'm not a good speaker. Listen to this. God is not looking for good speakers. He's looking for obedient servants. You don't have to be a good speaker. You just need to be someone who obeys God, he'll give you the words. Because God is more interested in character than charisma, you see. And look, I, I'm not a good speaker. I don't think I am. But I have a great message. And I'm confident in my message. And that's why I proclaim it. And you have that same message. And we all need to get it out. 
By the way, by that applause, I'm assuming you're affirming that I'm not a good speaker, so thanks for that. <laughs> no, seriously, you know you meant it. But it's true. Okay, last excuse, number five. I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified, verse 13. Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you will send. That's a fancy way of saying, get someone else to do it. Here I am, Lord, send him. <laughs> not me. And then he actually suggests his brother Aaron. You know, Aaron, my bro, he is a, this guy can talk, man. He has the gift of gab. Use him. Lord says, I, I don't want Aaron. I want you. Well, I can't do it. I, I, I have a speech impediment. I stumble over my words. I, I stutter. I, 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 I just, just not the guy. Yeah, that's why I want you. Stop with the excuses. They're not legit. You have no reason why you can't be used of God. You only have lame excuses. The Lord says, I want you to do it. Say, Lord, thank you. I'll do it. And I know you will help me to do it. And ultimately, Moses agreed and did what the Lord called him to do. Maybe God has spoken to your heart and you have seen your need for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to this earth. He was born in a manger he died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. Listen, I'm not talking about religion. I don't want to be a religious person. I don't think you want to be one either. I'm talking about relationship with God. Jesus, who died and rose again, stands at the door of your life and he knocks and he says, if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Question. Have you asked Jesus Christ to come and live inside of you? You might say, well, I, I think so, I'm not sure. Hey, if someone moved into your house in the middle of the night, do you think you would be aware of it? I'm sure you would. And in the same way, if Christ has come to live inside of you, you will know. And if you don't know, maybe he has not come in yet. He's just a prayer away. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I want this relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I wanna to go to heaven when I die. Would you like to do that? Would you like Christ to come into your life? If so, why don't you just pray this simple prayer with me? You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But this is a prayer where you're asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Pray this with me now. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Now come into my life. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Did you just pray that prayer with me? If so, I want you to know in the authority of scripture that Christ himself has come to live inside of you. And let me be the first to say to you, congratulations and welcome to the family of God.